You're listening to Mornings with Eric and Bridget right here on Moody Radio 89.3. So what is the key to happiness? Is it that powerful position? Is it more money? Or is it something that we find that is clearly outlined in Scripture? Well, let's talk about it today with Paul Batura, who's with Focus on the Family, taking a look at recent research coming out. He's also authored an article that says, when it comes to happiness, 85-year-long Harvard study confirms the wisdom of the Bible. Paul, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you, Bridget. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you know, I think a story from my life kind of helps with this a little bit. I got free tickets to Disney World once, but it was just for me. I walked in, I walked around and went, this is ridiculous, and left. Free tickets to Disney. But if my family wasn't there, it wasn't as fun. It wasn't fun at all, actually. It really does point to what this uh, research study is showing us, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're meant for a relationship. We're built for that. And um, what I love about this study is is the length of it. It started in 1938. So they looked at uh, 724 men. It's actually two studies that was combined. It was Harvard sophomores from the class uh, that were in 1938. And then they looked at some inner city Boston kids. So this is not, uh, you know, only rich, uh, well-to-do uppity kids. This is a, a broad spectrum of people. And um, they followed them all throughout their life. And what they discovered was that the happiest people are those who have the best relationships. It had nothing; it had very little to do with what kind of money they made, what kind of job they kept. Uh, it really was how good were they with their family, how many close friends did they have uh, personally. And um, you know, when you when you look at it, I thought this is so biblical. I mean, Scripture is very clear: the importance of friendship, the importance of not neglecting the fellowship uh, together. And I think we can learn a lot from it. And here it is, social science. So, you know, if you wait long enough, social uh, science always eventually catches up to Scripture. And just taking a look at the length of this study, you say here President John F. Kennedy was actually part of the cohort, of, of course, until his untimely death. So this really does go way back. So what are healthy and strong relationships? Why are they so key, do you think, to not only the study, but to the results of the study? Yeah, well, I, again, going back to, I think we're, we're made for it. Uh, we're not meant to be alone. Uh, we may sometimes be alone in the sense of there are widows in your audience. There are people who have had uh, tough things happen to them, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to be lonely. Um, one of the main phenomena that I think we're seeing, we see this at Focus on the Family, we're hearing from a lot of people who are actually in a family uh, around people, and yet they still feel lonely. Uh, and it's because they don't have an identity. They, they're not investing in one another. They're spending their time looking at screens. You know, a kid in the basement is texting his parents in the kitchen. I mean, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And, and we need to acknowledge that we need to take our heads out of our screens and, and, and be across the table from one another and, and, and walking together and, and just, just spending. That's, that's spending time with each other for as long as we have. You know, I just got a verse that popped up on my like my verse of the day that popped up on my phone. It said, "The Lord is close to the brokenhearted; He rescues those whose spirits are crushed." That doesn't mean that person is, according to this study and what you're saying, it doesn't mean that person isn't isn't necessarily happy. It, it could be that person is very happy because the Lord is close. That's that relationship you keep talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, and of course, happiness is a temporary feeling. Uh, it's often confused with joy. I mean, as Christians, we know we can always be joyful, even though we're not going to be happy every minute of the day. 
Uh, this is not to suggest that these people in this study uh, lived a f- carefree, um, Easy. Uh, stress-free. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course they had their disappointments. But, uh, you know, w- what gets us through our sorrows and our grief better than friends? Um, there was a lovely little essay in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago about the power of a condolence note. And it was so simple that this person said, I always thought some of these phrases, you're in my thoughts and in my prayers, was sort of empty until I needed to hear from my friends and how powerful it can be. So if you have someone in your life who is you think has just gone through a tough time, you might think, well, what is a one note going to do? Well, it's not going to solve their problem. It's not going to uh, you know, take away their grief, but it certainly will, will help soothe their soul. So write, write that note, pick up the phone send an email. It, um, it goes a long way. But as you mentioned, and just even in that example, people have gone through really difficult things, sometimes not even of their choosing, the passing of a loved one that has left them alone, a divorce perhaps that they didn't want. But you say here that people who make the effort to reach out to others are the ones who reach who reap the richest rewards. And I think it's interesting that God calls our our family of believers, really his, his body. So we're, we're meant to be intact and to reach out to others is what you're saying. We sure do. And we, we do have to be deliberate in our actions. We can't wait for people to reach out to us. Uh, you know, it's that old story about the guy who just moved into the neighborhood, walked over to his neighbor's house. He said, what kind of neighborhood is this? And they said, well, what kind of neighborhood did you come from? And he said, it wasn't very friendly. And he said, well, you'll probably find the same thing here. You know, we tend to find what we're looking for. So um, we have to be the ones to initiate. Um, Of course, when you do, people will then initiate back and sometimes people initiate with you, but you control uh, your outreach. Uh, You can't be a passive observer and a bystander and expect it all to come to you. So uh, again, be very deliberate. It may be one call a day. It may be a call just for, for two minutes. It doesn't have to be this huge investment Uh, And and I think we sometimes get overwhelmed by what we feel has to be perfect when just something short and sweet is going to be substantive and it's going to be meaningful. All right. Give me some help, though, because as soon as you start talking about this, my palms get sweaty as an introvert. Uh, (laughs) Give me some help. What are are some ways to kind of break out of that introvert into, you know, I don't have to be an extrovert, but how do I um, have this community you're talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the best, um, best advice I've ever been given is that people love the sound of their own name. So like, you just have to ask someone how they're doing. You know, sometimes we, if you're an introvert, you may think, I don't want to share all this information about myself. I don't want to have to give a big uh, spiel. You don't have to. Most people, if you just tee up a question and ask them, how are you doing? Or tell me about what you're challenged by today or what you're looking forward to this weekend or what's your big dream? I mean, simple questions like that will open the floodgates and you actually don't have to say much at all. I mean, a lot of the times I've been in conversation with people and I've asked them questions and then they'll say, Ben, you're such an interesting person. And I think I haven't said anything. I've just asked them about themselves, but people like to talk about themselves. And I think that's a good way for an introvert to kind of get through a difficult, you know, an extroverted moment. I think this is a good place to say our next book club entry is Six Conversations by Heather Holloman. If you want to join us for that, it'd be an excellent way to uh, do exactly what you're talking about here. So that's just a little plug there. Go to uh, Text Word Club, 561-737-6035. You'll find out all the information about our book club. It'd be very helpful as we uh, 
work through these conversations and how to better that in our own personal lives. Yeah, I was just thinking. Man, of, was, mm-hmm. Go ahead, Paul. No, that was a very. That was. A, I just wanted to compliment you on that very smooth plus. That was very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking the same thing because it sounds like what you're saying is meaningful conversation really is a key to that type of connection. And even if we're introverted, we can make those small efforts, and they can go a long way. How have you seen that in action? That impact of that. Well, I, you know, I, you just said something that brought to mind a, an old friend of mine. He passed away now. He was 106. His name was Jim Downing. He was uh, Navigator Number Eight. He was the one of the founding friends of Dawson Trotman with the Navigators. He said there are three types of conversation. Uh, there's uh, trivia, which is sort of weather, sports. There's people, uh, which is where you like to gossip. May not always be gossip, but it may be you know so and so is sick and so and so is struggling with this. But the, the most richest form of conversation when you talk about ideas, so about your faith and about uh, inventions and about trips that you want to go on and something like that. Um, I've seen that in the sense of when I sit down with my wife even and talk with her, uh, when we try and get beyond the, the laundry list or the, the grocery to-dos, uh, actually talk to her about what's on her heart and what she's been looking forward to and what, uh, you know, she, her, her dream once the kids are a little older, um, that seems to really light her up and, and the conversation becomes so much richer. I guess I would add to that, though, that there's nothing wrong with any of those conversations. It's just you can't live in the one zone, right? Yeah, don't be one dimensional. Uh, don't be, you know, so shallow. Um, you know, that was one of the criticisms I remember of Larry King. They used to say he was a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. He didn't like to go that deep, but that was because he didn't do a lot of research on his people. He just kind of asked, you know, superficial questions. But, you know, we're not talk show hosts uh, as um, spouses mm-hmm. and as parents. We need to go a little deeper mm-hmm. than um, uh, a, an evening talk show. <laughs> All right. So this is good because, again, it's the research is pointing us to what Scripture has said all alone. Even back in Genesis, you say even there, two, chapter 2, verse 18, we see that man wasn't meant to be alone. That's what God said about Adam. It's not good for him to be alone, so I will make him a helper. So talk to us a little bit about the early beginnings and how that points to the key to happiness. Well, I think we see that God had created this wonderful creation, and um, yet uh, Adam felt unfulfilled. He, he wanted, to your point earlier, uh, Eric, about Disneyland or Disney World, when you're there by yourself, you can only enjoy so much, and some of it maybe not at all. And so I, I think that's a wonderful illustration right there in the beginning of Scripture, that it can be, we can almost live in perfection and yet be unfulfilled because we want someone to share it with, whether it's um, uh, something wonderful or something difficult, it makes a big difference to be able to talk about it and to be able to, um, you know, um, just kind of uh, reflect on the blessings that you have. And it's kind of a th- it's a thread that goes all through Scripture. We see people uh, banding together, almost uh, uh, having relationships, and it takes us all the way to Revelation, where we see this great multitude showing up in heaven. Right? I mean, it's all it, it all talks about this relationship, and most importantly, the re- relationship we have with our, our heavenly Father. It sure does. And you know, here Jesus was the perfect man uh, who ever lived, and yet he he cultivated and recruited disciples. He didn't want to go alone. Could he have done it alone? Sure. Did he need someone? Probably not. I mean, we, he, he didn't need anything. Um, but yet he gave um, others an opportunity to be around him. And that's very much 
what we get to be and what we get to do is we technically don't, I suppose, we can get through life rather um, independently. Um, but I think all those examples that you cite in Scripture are that it's much richer when you get to do it with someone else. How do we cultivate this in children as parents or grandparents? Yeah, I think first you have to model it yourself. Your, your kids are watching, you know, values are caught. They're not necessarily taught. So I think have good friendships. Uh, let them see that you have good friendships as an adult. So, you know, that, that tends to sometimes um, take a hit when you're in the throes of raising kids. But I know speaking personally, you know, I have a few guy friends who uh, we run together. We sometimes have a meal together at the house. And I like the fact that the kids get to see these guys come over and hopefully, you know, I'm not I'm by no means the model guy, but it's the idea that they can see this is healthy. You know, it's not uh, at a bar. It's not uh, at a party. It's like literally in someone's home on a backyard deck having a barbecue. So that's good. And then I think we have to encourage our kids uh, to pick good friends. I mean, that's the great fear of every parent, I think, is, you know, we don't want our kids to be around, um, quote unquote, bad kids. Um, and yet, uh, you know, who our friends choose, you know, uh, what's the, what's the phrase, uh, good company or bad company corrupt, corrupts good character. If that's scriptural, mm-hmm. uh, we have to be careful. And, and when you're young, we can help navigate that, but you do that by putting your kids in good places, like put them in church. They're going to have a better chance of meeting kids who believe like you do at church than you do at school. Not that school's a bad place, but church is probably, youth group, hopefully, will have a little bit of a filtered uh, pool of kids to pick from. Well, this is good because what we're reminded here is that we don't need, obviously, research to tell us what Scripture has, but it's interesting when they do correlate. And also the point that I want to make is we talked a lot about family and that marriage relationship, but you've also mentioned Jesus as a model. He was single, but yet he still was intentional on his relationship. So this is not something that can that needs to be lost on any one of us, no matter what our marital status is, right? No, absolutely. It goes across the board, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are. If you're a kid, we talked about them. But if you're, you know, like my friend Jim Downing, 106, he was investing in other people. Uh, He never gave up until the end. He always had people around him. And I think that's um, that's the secret to a to a satisfying, uh, fulfilling life. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you for Mm -hmm. uh, sharing with us. This is really interesting. Fascinating research, but it does point us right back to scriptures. Thank you for uh, directing us there. We appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, Eric and Bridget. Hope you guys are looking forward to a great weekend.